Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to an all-new episode of Galani and Chill, featuring myself talking about found footage horror films, which I've watched a good deal of. Um, of course, I am your host, Chris Galanti, and I'm joined with Stephen O'Tiri. Hello. Jonathan Suarez. <sighs> Devon Kupeko. Wee oui, wee. Oui. You know, I was actually literally vibing to that little, little jam. Well, yeah, it's a good jam. I'm just jamming. Jam. I'm just vibing in my chair, you know? Kind of like a shaft vibe to it, you know? I dig it. I dig it. I like that sound. Yeah. Um, yeah, so another episode of Glani Chill. I watched a couple. By a couple, I mean eight found footage <laughs> films. And wow. I made sure to pick ones that I'd never seen before, too. I was really uh, pushing myself. And I, and I did a little research, you know, a little YouTube research. I <clears throat> went through a bunch of top ten lists of found footage horror movies and just picked ones that I thought sounded really interesting. And uh, this is the list. But before we get into that, before, uh, I'd like to talk about a few movies that I watched over the previous couple of weeks as well, as you guys can can chime in as well with anything you've seen. But um, the big thing that I, I want to talk about, the movie that I just watched, is relatively fresh in my mind, is Dream Scenario. Uh, I saw that with uh, my compatriot, Devin Kopeck. Yes, we watched it. It, uh, I thought it was better than I thought it was going to be. It actually exceeded my expectations quite a bit. Um, really, really, really enjoyed it. Really funny movie that I was laughing quite a bit uh, throughout. I think I was crying at one point. In one scene in particular, I was laughing so hard I was crying. <laughs> I think Devin knows. You know, you know yeah, exactly no, what I'm talking about. <laughs> it's the most silly, uh, awkward yeah. shit I've seen in a, a long time. <laughs> and it was nice seeing that, especially in a movie like that, where it was more like the indie, an indie type film. Um, I would, I would call it like a drama, like a straight up drama, drama comedy, maybe dramedy, yeah, dramedy. I heard well, that's like a, the term. I wouldn't call it like a dark comedy or anything. It wasn't. I wouldn't necessarily say it was dark. <clears throat> it does get dark at points, it, though. It, well, that's the interesting thing about the movie. I feel like I went through a gamut of emotions watching it, and that's always a good experience at a movie mm-hmm. theater. You know, like definite pity, um, laughter. I thought it was funny. It was sad at points and scary at other points. Like it, I think it really it nailed a bunch of different emotions. And I think it also uh, was really a good looking movie and really well edited too. I think there were some interesting cuts that were going on in the film that made it seem like you weren't quite sure if it was, you were in a dream or you weren't. And all that being said, like the shots, there's one shot in particular of Nicolas Cage at seeing a play and the, the entire crowd is like looking up at the theater and his head, he's like just staring down at, at a chair. It's just a really well composed shot and it gives you a lot of character. Um, and Nicholas Cage plays just this kind of a pitiful, sad man. <laughs> he's kind of like a, a nobody. Um, yeah. I mean, that's, he's like the most unassuming, forgettable person ever. Right. And right. that's the, funny part is because and just to give you the high level concept dream scenarios about just kind of randomly 
Nicolas Cage's character as this very forgettable, unassuming man just starts appearing in all of these people's dreams. And, uh, you know, he kind of becomes a viral sensation and then it kind of takes off from there. And, you know, what's interesting, too, is um, his effect in the dreams and how he reacts and moves and acts in other people's dreams. It changes with his mood, which is really interesting, and his yeah. outlook and perception. Um, and it's very subtle, and but it's it's there and it's pretty fascinating to watch that turn, I think. Um, it definitely makes the movie scarier at that point too. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I think it's, there's, this is also, I think a big, uh, a film that is a commentary on like social media and memes in general. And I, and I think cancel that's culture what, for sure. Too. Cancel culture too. I think um, a big part of Nicholas Cage particip- participation in this is his befuddlement at being memefied for years, you know, like, him as a, as a person, as an actor, um, that plays like a meta contextual nature, uh, ca- part of the character. Um, which yeah, I kind of didn't even think about that, but that makes a lot of sense actually. Yeah. You know, it's like, I kind of related to, um, Michael Keaton getting casted in, in Birdman, you know, mm-hmm. like there's that whole actual real history of him being Batman and same can be said for this movie. The whole history of people just, him popping up in random people's lives for no reason other than to be a meme. Um, yeah. And that's, that's pretty much what this movie is about. You know, like uh, I desperately say, go see it. I, I think it's, it's not like a complicated movie, I would say, which I think is a, a, a testament to good storytelling, especially for a movie about dreams. Like, I feel like a lot of movies yeah. about dreams, they get kind of bogged down. The plot gets bogged down for like style and atmosphere. And I don't think that's necessarily the case with this film. Um, yeah, really, really enjoyed this one. And it kind of just makes you, in my opinion, uh, really appreciate Nicolas Cage. Cause it's like, yes, yes. I'm not going to say like this movie was made because of him, but like, I'm just so glad we have an actor like Nicolas Cage that is either willing and able and just totally fits like these weird types of movies because it's like you you need a guy like that. You know, I get it. Like he, he went through kind of every phase you can imagine Nicolas Cage in terms of being an actor. And now he's just kind of settled in into this kind of very odd spot. And I don't know, Chris, if you've heard this, but uh, two things I, I read and who knows how accurate they are because it's Nicholas Cage. But one, uh, he says he feels like he only has about three or four movies left in him. What? But Nick Cage. Yeah. But then I think that was compounded with the fact that he seemingly just discovered TV. And <laughs> oh. He was like raving about um, Breaking Bad. He was wow. like, I love it. I was like, I want to do TV. So, like, and then all of a sudden he's talking about, he's like, yeah, I might only do like three or four movies. Uh, so he might just be like TV star, wild man, Nicolas Cage. That's so. um, kind of sad if that is true, because I feel like you're right. I think he's kind of blossoming now as an actor. I mean, listen, I, I think he's had really good roles and he's been very good in movies in the past, but like, his, you know, I'd say the early 2000s to about 2010, he was just making 
tra- trash to pay his taxes. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't think you would get this Nicolas Cage without that. You know, like mm-hmm. he needed he needed to go through that, figure out how like I guess how shallow it is, and then start making like these interesting movies like Mandy and Pig and and Dream Scenario. Um, yeah, you know, I don't know. In TV, I guess he would be great in TV. TV's basically at this point like long form movies. Yeah, I mean that's kind of what he was saying, but it's also like one, like where have you been? But also totally understanding, considering it's Nicolas Cage. Yeah, right. It's like, like, oh, yeah. Well, if there is a guy that's like just discovering some of this shit, it's like yeah, it would be him. Pretty par for the course for someone. Like yeah. Um, yeah. I yeah I I I'm this renaissance that he's going through. If it's coming to an end, it's that is sad to me because I really really enjoyed his output these past years. Um, I think Mandy is really the one that shines the brightest for me. Mm-hmm. I, I fucking love that movie so much. <laughs> um, I yeah, it's just so good. And um, I I really liked this though. I I I, I think this is a a light Mary. I would say. For me, I would agree. I would agree. I really it's like enjoyed it. It is very much something where I'm like, you really should see this. I don't know if it's like, I don't know. It is tough because it's like I'm not sure if you need the theater experience, but also, yeah, yeah. I think some of it is just like really pays off if you are like a disciplined movie watcher. Yeah, you know, meaning like if you're watching this and it's on and you're on your phone and you're getting up and you're not pausing it, like. I don't know how much you're going to get out of that, but if you're just sitting there and watching the movie focused, uh, there's a lot. <laughs> there's really a lot to. I believe in all of you to of sit this. through a two-hour movie. It's not that hard. Yeah, it was. You didn't you say it was kind of like right on the money? I think hours? that's. I think that's perfect. I, I think yeah. two hours is a, the quintessential runtime. And it is. Uh, it is interesting in the sense of like how you feel about his character, like. Do you think he's an asshole? Do you feel bad for him? I do think there are some. Do you think that anybody walked out of that thinking he was an asshole? I do. I do. You actually. do really? Um, yeah, I <sighs> think so. It's so hard to. It's well, it's tough because like so much of it is from his perspective, and it's... so much of it is like obviously trying to be sympathetic. But like, you know, he does some Larry David type shit where you're like, yeah, but like you're an asshole. <laughs> you're being an asshole. Yeah, you know, I think, you know, he, he, you know his narcissism definitely is on display towards the end, but, like, it's all put upon. Like, it's not, he's not, he's not con- controlling it per se. It didn't happen because he made it happen. Basically, Chris, what you're saying is you agree with the boyfriend in Midsommar. <laughs> like, you know what? He didn't deserve that. He didn't deserve that. Well, you know, I don't know about that, but... <laughs> I guess he's so pitiful, it's hard for me to, to really take him serious as an asshole. <laughs> That's the way I look at it, at least. Um, no, you get it. Yeah. Yeah, but um, definitely see it. Tell me how you feel when you see it. If you you don't pity him, if you think he's a dick, I'm curious about that one. I would like to hear somebody else's perception of this movie. But I uh, yeah. really enjoyed it. Really great time at the theater. Um, makes me excited for a few other like late entries this year. Like John, you were talking about May December, which yeah, I was going to say. Really hyped for. Are we watching that this week? <laughs> oh fuck yeah, dude! I think I it's on Netflix that. now. I, I, I'm Kevin, so did you hear about it. this movie? I was reading you guys talking about it on the Discord. I haven't like 
Dude, the, you know, the guy, I, I saw the the guy that plays the guy that plays um the the Asian jock guy from Riverdale. Oh, is that who that might, is? Might oh. win an Oscar, might or might get nominated for an Oscar. I, yeah, I like that guy. He's, he's shown up in other things too. That yeah, but he's no. The only thing I recognize him from is Riverdale, which is sad. Uh, Devin, <laughs> do you know the plot of the movie? Did you hear? Did you read this? Uh, I don't. Not really. So, feel so free it is you know it. an actress who's she's uh, researching a role about a woman who is a middle school teacher, I believe, who ended up seducing one of her seventh grade students. <laughs> they end up having. They end up getting married. Like they actually yeah, so at they, the end of it all. I, I don't know if it's a te- I think the original story is a teacher, maybe. But I think is it, this movie, is it based on a real true? I think story? it's loosely based on an actual thing, which is sure. kind of wild. But yeah, so I, I think I, they might have been co-workers at a store or something. But he was fifteen or sixteen at the time, and she was thirty-six. Right. And they had a relationship, and it was exposed, and she went to jail. But I oh, yeah, think she gave birth. Yeah, she was in jail for like. 15 years or some shit and then when she got out they got married and had kids and stuff yeah so like so now they're making a movie about it that's julianne moore and the guy from riverdale charles melton right and uh, yeah. natalie portman, natalie is, portman playing is, is playing julianne moore's character in an upcoming movie so she goes down there to like take notes and like study the character but like she goes tries to go like full method like super full method and tries to like I was getting persona vibes from the poster that I saw. Yeah, so you I know, watch the trailer, and I was like, "Yeah, this is really." It has very almost like, like a, persona. It has like a thriller kind of atmosphere. The trailer, like a little yeah. bit, doesn't it? You know, so like yeah. So I, I didn't really know anything about the movie until I saw like the poster on like Twitter or Instagram or something. I was like, "Oh, what is this?" I was like, "I like Julianne Moore and Natalie Portman. This looks like Persona." I'm a, oh, I'm I was a, like, oh, it's Todd Haynes. I was like, oh, it's Todd Haynes. Oh, interesting. I, I'm a big. Then, uh, I like Todd Haynes quite a bit. I like Far From Heaven. I like. Uh, he did. A, yeah, apparently, another... there's like, uh, there's a fucking like grand slam scene in this movie. People are saying they. Don't, I don't know what happens in it, but like, they're just like, this is probably one of the best scenes in, in movies of the year. So I don't I know what happens it. in it, um, but uh, all I heard was that the movie is very unsettling and disturbing, and those are adjectives that i like in my movies <laughs> oh isn't isn't that what happened to frank rossitano in 30 rock wait well, yeah well yes <laughs> <laughs> but i think they didn't get married right because she goes to jail and then the mother hated her his mother frank rossitano's mom so but I don't, then they but then they they, they, they do, made up they made don't up they? at the at the towards the end of the the show i think I think oh, and, they were dating, I think. I think so, but then I think he realizes that she's too much like his mother. Yes, yes. Okay, yeah. That is the plot, because she brings the meatballs at work and everything. That's and, it, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, it's not that far off. I mean, but you have to understand, to me, this is almost a cliche, right? Because mm. we've seen the story a bunch of times throughout, yeah. throughout history, mm. you know, and both sides, on both sides. And uh, I think it makes it a little bit more interesting that it's the woman in the uh, in the elder role too. I think that makes it yeah more provocative. Yeah, you know? yeah, it makes it yeah it makes yeah I guess it makes it less like I don't want to say less one sided 
But like, right, if it was right. the other way around, it's just straight up fucking pre- predators at that point. But I don't yeah. know if that's just sexism. But well, that's like, the thing. That's what makes it provocative because we look at it with men one way, and with women, we we look at it kind of different. There's yeah. a different perspective of it, and right? That makes it interesting, you know. And me. that's yeah, that's that's also like kind of like um a side you don't also see with tabloids and stuff is like later down the line, like how does the the actual victim deal with the trauma like later, right. you know. Absolutely. So that that's they why I was talk about the victim too. They never talk. Yeah, about they the never talk about. Either. Yeah, so that so that's probably why he, the Charles Melton guy, got is getting a lot of praise. Maybe he plays that role. Like he, see, he seems to be playing it pretty nuanced. There's there, from the trailer, yeah. you know, like there's some. Well, I mean, deep, look at this picture. Trust issues. How, how do I? Where do I get this Fastbender shirt? That looks like Metallica that Todd Haynes is wearing <laughs> this, in the scene he's directing. That's pretty <laughs> sick. Yeah. I see that shirt and I'm like, oh man, I really want to watch this movie now. Yeah, those are some delicious looking cakes, man. Yeah, those are some delicious looking cakes. You are not wrong. <laughs> That's Todd all Haynes I seems, care about. Todd Haynes seems like the kind of guy that those are probably very meticulously made and John, I, I, I implore go check out Far From Heaven and Carol. Those movies are fucking Yeah, great. those are those are like his what, did you ever hear of that other movie that he did? Safe? Safe? Oh, I fucking love Safe, man. I didn't I never watched that, but I oh. heard that one was like crazy. Safe is about people with um, the debilitating illness that Chuck had from Better Call Saul, but environmental oh, illness. Um that's a fascinating movie because it's a like the suburban a wife who just starts getting allergic to electricity and she's trying to understand it. And you're never the great thing about the movie is it never gives you the, the idea of if it's, if it's fake or not, like it's played very straight. There's no Saul it, Goodman. Yeah. Dropping, dropping cell phones on people. Exactly. Like, well, like, you, you, there are points where you're like, okay, I think she's crazy. And then there are points where you're like, this could be a legitimate medical issue that she's having. Um, yeah, really, really interesting movie. And also the Karen Carpenter story. That is fucking nuts. That it's basically a movie about Karen Carpenter, a model who killed herself, but it's all done with Barbies. Uh, what? Yeah. Oh, okay. That's this, very dude, this dude is a movie. this dude is a true sicko, is what you're saying. He's a fucking okay. sicko, man. He's to a true sicko. Core, to the core. <laughs> so that's that's a, that can only be good be a good thing. Well, thing, he, he, I've noticed in his later career, he started focusing on like um, homosexuality in like the past because Carol and Far From Heaven are both about homosexual characters in like the 40s and 50s. OK, um, but like they're so now both... he's gradual. He's graduated to pedophilia now in his deviant. <laughs> yeah, the, the 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 new level of what is considered taboo. In our society, he's working on that. So, yeah, I, I expect that to be great because you're right. It's I think it's similar taboos, you know, in a sense. Mm-hmm. At least, tell me, yo, tell me that post. Tell me that that poster doesn't look like fucking persona, though. <laughs> That's it the does. only reason I was interested in, in it from the poster alone. Hey man, and I looked up steal. everything. And now I'm like, wow. If you're gonna steal, steal from the best, right? That's how it works. That's um, crazy. Yeah, and then there's Poor Things. I want to watch that. I think that's going to be great. That movie looks year. crazy. That looks fantastic. You know, I've only seen... I don't even think I've seen the trailer. I've only you know seen what it's that about, still Evan? of Emma Stone. No, I kind of like... They bring they bring Emma Stone's character back to life. She was like a suicide victim, and they put a yep. baby's brain in her. 
<laughs> yeah, it's like crazy. It's weird and crazy. And William but it's supposed to be like the cast is sick in here. Though. But it's supposed to be like satirical about society or some shit, right, yeah. Chris? Well, from what I've read, I she she starts to, well, she she becomes a prostitute, I think, at one point, and it's because of her. Like she loves touch. Like the whole movie is about her touching things and feeling things. That's mm. how she like learns. So that evolves into her like having sex constantly, basically. Um, yeah, so is Emma Stone going to win another Oscar for this? You think? Or is she going to be dude. nominated? Give it to her. Why not? I Fuck mean, it. the same director, right? Oh, the same guy that did that did the favorite. The favorite. That guy's a weirdo too, right? He's a you big know, weirdo. I, I, the favorite is is quite good. Um, I never saw the favorite. Yeah. There is a particular scene in it that my me and my dad watch on YouTube because it's hilarious. It's the boob, the boob scene where you see Emma Stone's boobs. It's not the boob scene. It's not the boob scene. <laughs> There's a scene where me and my dad just watch it over and over again. <laughs> There's a scene where they have like this, this really fat guy who's naked in powdered wig and they're pelting him with like fruit and it's in slow motion. And they're all like laughing like hysterically because what they did back then for like kicks, you know. And it's such a silly fucking scene, and it's oh, it's so over the top. What's the the director's name? Your Yorgos. Yorgos. Yorgos Lathamos. Is he Lathamos. Greek? What is this? Yeah, God. yeah, yeah. Just like my boy Panos, director. Of oh, Mandy. Panos. Panos. Is yeah, you know what? King. I don't think I've seen. Yeah, you know, I'm not a. Um, your ghost is a blind spot. I've never saw the lobster. You know, I never saw any. I gotta see. I gotta see Triangle Sadness. That's something I haven't seen yet. I saw the first twenty minutes and I was really digging it. To be yeah. fair, it's a cool concept. What yeah. I've heard about I, that sounds really interesting. Is that him too? Interesting. Did he? I think that was him too. Pretty sure. Poor things yeah. looks just incredibly wild. Like they shot it all in slide film, or I don't know if the whole thing was shot on slide film, but like. Mm-hmm. The colors are going to be like really like saturated, and I can uh, tell in the trailer, man. There's yeah, a lot it's going to be contrast. like really, yeah. Trial, Triangle of Sadness is Ruben Ostlund. Oh, Ostlund. I thought that was him. Yeah. Okay. Never mind. Uh, God, get your Euro European direction <laughs> directors. They all look the same, direct. Chris. All they all look the same. Those fucking Euro trash pieces of shit. Yep. <laughs> Way to yeah, go! Look at this cast, though, dude. Fucking Emma Stone, Mark Ruffalo, Willem Dafoe. Yeah, it's gonna be Fuck, good, bro. It's gonna be if not if not good, great. Like I don't have much of a, a low bar for this one. It's gotta be good. Damn. Um. Okay. I guess that's. Does anybody else have any films or TV? You know what? I got something. I do oh. have some TV. To talk about too, but let me let me sell. I haven't. Wa- I mean, obviously, I saw Dream Scenario with Chris, um, but I binged the entirety of Scott Pilgrim, the Scott Pilgrim animated show on Netflix. Interesting, isn't um, it? <laughs> did you watch it, Chris? I watched. Did you the, it? I watched the first five episodes. So Scott we, Pilgrim. Scott yeah. Pilgrim. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They changed. So, they they changed a bunch of stuff, right? Or they, yes, so they did, John. Without okay. without spoiling. Without spoiling it, because I really do think this is worth basically anybody watching if you're remotely a fan of the movie or the comic. Uh, this is such a nice companion slash epilogue. So like whatever it is you want to just like 
it's so perfect and i did they keep the songs the original songs from the movies nope too? they don't now the new song i'm a got you here's the um here's the uh the thing so i think anamanaguchi anamanaguchi yeah from f- those are from the um the game mm-hmm. that's the same band um oh, i think okay. the thing about uh scott pilgrim takes off is there's going to be a lot of people who just see it and go oh they just did a cartoon on Netflix. Okay. I've already seen the movie. I've ever read the book. Yeah. A lot of people think that. I and, and it really is like the first episode is almost one for one until the last, you, you know, five minutes. Yeah. It is definitely a quote companion piece. It is definitely. Um, it's going to rock your socks. It's going to shake things that up. First episode and you'll end up like binging a ton of it. Yeah, I love I honestly as I finished it, I, I absolutely loved it. I love the way it ended. It's quite I good, loved, isn't it? I love that it really gave a lot of characters because that's the one thing, say it about the movie or the or the comic. It's been forever since I read it, but that supporting cast is so cool and so fun and so interesting. And it really does give all those characters a lot of more room to shine and you kind of explore those characters and you know, it's awesome. And just the last, the last like two episodes are fucking wild. Jason Schwartzman is such a good voice actor. He is Mm -hmm. so good at that. You know, that is one thing I might, I might ding it for, um, in the sense of you really can tell who takes the voice acting Mm. and versus who kind of, I don't want to say doesn't get it. Owns it in kind of scene. I don't, I don't even know that because it's like, there's some characters, right? Like, um, Allison Pill, who plays Kim Pine, right? Allison Pill's awesome. She's an awesome actor. And that voice actor, I'm sorry, uh, the vo- you know, she's doing the character, which is exactly like how it is in the movie. But that doesn't really translate super well to an animated show, especially when other characters like Michael Sarah, uh, Jason Schwartzman, uh, Ellen Wong, who plays Nice Chow. I think yes. there are certain characters that really, I don't mean characters, just actors, like they really light it up. And like, it's like they get it, where other characters are just like, or other actors are just like, no, I'm just going to kind of do exactly what I did. I love Mary Elizabeth um, Weinstead. Weinstead. Yeah, yeah. I love her. I think she's fine. She's like, okay. But, you know, it's just like, Michael Sarah is such an underrated voice actor. Yeah, he's good too. Uh, he's, it, it actually kind of like yeah. shocks me because I remember like when the Scott Pilgrim movie came out, I was like, mm-hmm. Michael Sarah. And like, you know, I thought he did a good job in that movie, but, you know, having it actually be like Scott Pilgrim and like if I if I didn't even know, I'd be like, damn. Yeah. That's like perfect. Right? Yeah. And it's like he was. You're he saying was his, great voice, in the- his voice is perfect for. Scott Pilgrim, the anime. Yeah. Like, like, you know, maybe because it's like years of seeing him on Arrested Development kind of ingrained in my brain when I first saw the movie. George Michael, of course. So, like, George Michael kind of got stuck in there. But, yeah, just like in general, I think. um, Well, most movies he's done, he's he's been that kind of character, too. But, yeah, the the, the fun thing about it is this this feels like, you know, they had time to, like, yeah, it's been 20 years since Scott Pilgrim stuff came out like originally. So it feels definitely like more of like a, Hey, like what if we actually like, you know, kind of thought about this a little more. Yeah. Maybe so took out some of the, it? 
I haven't finished it yet. Okay. Maybe, um, maybe take out some of the, the more questionable things that don't age as well, too. Right. I mean, you know, the, the thing is, they kind of, like, address some of that, too. Right. Which is, right. Um, I like it. Yeah. I like, I really like it. And I definitely recommend it. Like, if, if, if you were someone who, like, you know, was into Scott Pilgrim and then kind of fell off, I think this is definitely, like, the, the, the um, voltage you need to, like, kind of shock that interest maybe back into your mm-hmm. fandom. Sure. Yeah, it really is great. And uh, in a weird, super weird way, it like took me back to like when I was in my early 20s, you know, I'm like, oh, I remember going to parties. Yeah. And things like that. Like, like, you know, in that kind of fun sense, like the devil may care kind of. Yeah, it really captures that. Yeah, I agree. You know, hits a little bit. I remember going to concerts. Uh, for your yeah. friends, your friends' concerts. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. Uh, basement shows and things like that. Yeah. And, uh, I yeah, don't know. I think, it it I hits think, different now. Yeah, I think the changes are good too. I think this might, you know, it's uh it's for the best. Yeah. In a lot of and ways. And it really it's it's like truly not again, I don't want to get like too deep into the plot, but like it truly is a wonderful companion piece to eat. It's it's a nice melding of the book and the um and the film, right? Because it's like the film actors, uh, plus obviously, because I think it's if you want to be like a fucking nerd about it, uh, I'm pretty sure this is more canon to the comic as opposed to the book. Well, that's the benefit. Oh, I'm of sorry, uh, the comic it. as opposed to the film, but that's the know. benefit of making it ten years or so later. Because yeah, like then, who gives a shit? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> no, no fans are gonna be like. What the fuck? They don't, they don't care anymore. <laughs> you know, like, but what's this mean about the Avengers? Right. Yeah. Like, um. Here's a here's a question. Uh, do you think people who have never touched like the Scott Pilgrim franchise will enjoy takes off? I think you should just. I think you should watch. You should watch the movie. If you're, yeah. I mean, like this is I one of those things. Where I'm oh yeah, you definitely. Yeah. yeah. It's, I think it's, there needs to be a little bit of a connection to to the story. Yeah. No, it's like, enjoyable by yeah. itself, but you really, I, it, I'd almost be like you, you're fucking up if you're. Because I don't think watching would, this. I don't think you would enjoy this as much without reading or watching the movie and seeing how different yeah. they're taking the. And I'm the saying, time. you know. You don't just pick one, you know, you can watch the movie and be fine. You know, you don't have to watch it and read everything like you can just read it or watch. Or yeah, watch right. the either movie. one. I agree. I agree. Yeah, like but, there was a time there was a time in my life where I was like disappointed in the movie. Yeah, because I, I read the, the book, but like like years removed from that time period. I'm like, just watch the movies like so good. I, yeah, like, yeah. I think I like the, I think I like the movie now way more than I did. When You're it first absolutely came out. right. You're absolutely right, John. I think that movie aged magnificently. I really yeah, do. It's just, I don't know if it's because I'm fully removed from the comic more than I was back then, but like a standalone, like that, that movie is just like incredible. Like, yeah. the like, cast really, has only gotten cast better, is amazing. Right? The mu- yeah. that that's why the first thing I asked you about the anime is if they kept the music from the movie because that's one of the best parts too. Like Edgar Wright, yeah. really fucking. I I would say this is probably one of his underrated ones too. Like he's not Absolutely. really known for this, but like he really knocked. He really fucking knocked it out of the park at this one. I think it was disregarded a little bit when it came out too. And yeah, because of all because because the the fucking comic book styles I and mean, we were we were those guys too. So. <laughs> I, I think people have gone back and revisited it as like not only a, a film about like the millennial generation growing up, but like about video games. Like, right? It's so integrated in the style of the 
the movie that it's, you know, it's something that not a lot of movies get right, really. Yeah, yeah. and that's the thing. Like, those, he even did things in the movie that you don't really feel from reading the comics just because you can't really feel something, some of the same things reading yeah. as, as you would watching a movie, you know? So, like, I don't know, man. You asked me the night of when we watched it, I was like, yeah, it was okay. And now I'm like, oh, I think I prefer the movie than the comic <laughs> yeah. now. You know, Didn't, that's fine. The movie come out before that, like the final. It came out before. Yeah, before yeah. that. Yeah, before yeah. book six. Yeah. I remember, like, they I remember I couldn't. Fi- I remember I couldn't find that book when it came out because it was sold out everywhere, and I had to like go to some fucking weirdo, like weird comic weird store shot. that I've never been to. Yeah, that I've never been to to, to get it. But um, yeah. You, you know what's funny is that, that I, would, I you, you could say that that movie like fucking like like uh fucking jump started a lot of really successful actors' careers too. Like oh yeah, hundred percent. It's like crazy. I think you could put Kieran Culkin on the map. Him fucking Anna Kendrick. <laughs> uh, yeah. Oh, Aubrey, Aubrey Plaza. Plaza. Yeah. Like yeah, a bunch of a bunch of people from yeah, there. Brie Larson. Brie Larson, yeah, Allison Pill too, like Chris you know, like, Evans, Chris, Chris Evans. Evans. He was fucking... he was someone at the time, kind of, kind <laughs> yeah. of. Well, that's what made it great, right? It was really right because he was playing the movie star, right? Fucking mm-hmm. Brandon Ralph. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> nah, yeah, I, I mean, yeah, I, you could you could say that he kind of like jump started his yeah. Ju- jump, yeah, jump started his career again after Superman Returns, kind of just you know. He might have left him in the ditch. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, I will say I I started looking up. uh, I started looking up the colored editions because I was like, "Yo, dude, I was was snobbing about that too." When that when they started releasing those, I was like, "Fuck no! Why would I want that this shit in color?" I wanted it. I wanted it, and uh, I was I was looking for the color collection. How about is that better? Yeah, it's better. Thank you. Fuck you. Uh, so anyway, I was looking for those, and I was I was like putting stuff in my cart because I really couldn't find anything in Amazon. So like, I was like looking on eBay, and I very quickly was like, oh, I'm not spending a collective like hundred and thirty dollars on this. Never mind. Like, cancel, delete, whatever. What are, yeah. Brian Lee O'Malley. Like, what has he done any other comics since then? He, did one fucking he's just milking the shit out of scott pilgrim the rest didn't they do like a (laughs) spinoff they did like a prequel or something Uh, i don't know uh, he let me see he did a uh, book called seconds i remember seconds um and then he announced something called worst world but i remember reading lost at sea did lost at sea come out after scott pilgrim Mm -hmm. Um, we're reading that Lost at Sea was the first thing he did. He's only oh, okay. he did Lost okay. at Sea and then Scott Pilgrim, then Seconds, and then this thing called Worst World, and then he's and done then like thing, some comics. Yeah, and then he but... just kept redoing and redoing Scott Pilgrim. Just eating, hey man, eating good. Yeah. the golden calf. That's what you want, baby. <laughs> yeah, it's the greatest thing good for, for a him. Creator. Good for him, though. But yeah, uh, honestly, like John, I really think you should give it a give it a yeah. watch. Uh, what? Uh, read the the colored versions of Scott Pilgrim. No thanks. Yeah, yeah. watch the colored version. <laughs> Come on. Come on, guys. 
It is. It's it's in uh, color. Am I, I wrong? No, I, you're not no. wrong. I feel like you guys are taking something out of context. <laughs> I think that's your thing. Like, it's like that <laughs> that Key and Peele sketch where he's singing the, the songs. That I think that's your the, thing. Uh, the version <laughs> where they uh they they kind of ruin that one joke because you know the original book being black and white, where it's like this this book was or this joke was much funnier in black and white. Oh my god! Yeah, it was. Mm. I think I remember that actually. Now you bring it up. Yeah, it's a really creative TV show, and Netflix is uh, seemingly on a pretty good run with that. So let's yeah, take- it cap it captures that style and like just like the animation is kind of like top notch too. So. Yeah, hopefully the Avatar live action show is going to be good. That's you say that about everything you see, Chris. You're like, you know what? I watched eight found footage movies, and hopefully the Avatar show. <laughs> I could care less about anything. Feel open about that. <laughs> it will not survive a bad movie and a bad TV show. People will forget about it and will go away. <laughs> Dude, and then the One Piece, uh, One Piece finally takes over. Yeah, that's it's over after that. It's over. One Piece. <laughs> <laughs> I won't have anything left. But they got the Yu Yu Hakusho live action. They do got what Yu Yu Hakusho. That's the fucking my Christmas present from Netflix. Yeah, yeah, so, that's um, mm-hmm. it's right around the corner. <laughs> that that unfortunately, that does not have the One Piece budget, or no. it's just like hope you like subtitles. That's the that could be coal in my stocking. I'm not quite sure that's, about that one yet. I feel like that's most likely going to happen unfortunately yeah i don't know i'm gonna give it a shot you know i give, yeah, I give him a not? shot i gave cowboy bebop shot i'm gonna give it a shot but yeah i'm not i don't have my hopes um cowboy i bebop. have what's that cowboy bebop cowboy bebop um i also watched fargo uh the new episode of that this week uh season five i believe uh, I think they revealed that one of the characters in the show is like 500 years old. What? Fargo? Yeah, dude. <laughs> so, there's a character what? in the show. His name is Old Munch. <laughs> he had a flash. There's a flashback where it goes back to like colonial America and he's eating food off of a corpse because he's a sin eater. Do you guys know what that is? Have you ever heard that term? No. So back in colonial times, they thought that you could pay like a peasant or like a poor person to eat like a plate of food on top of a dead body and it would eat the sin of the body so that they could, their soul could go to heaven. But the thing is, the person who's poor, all that sin is on them and the town, like you're ostracized, right? Like you're, you're sent out. they, They think you're like evil. Well, like, it all comes to that, and he's doing, like, ceremonies in a cave, and he's smearing, like, goat's blood all over his body. And I really think that they're they're implying that he's, like, 500 <laughs> years old. <laughs> it's Dude, insane. I'll be honest. Like, every time there's a season of Fargo, I'm like, I have no fucking idea what this show is about. I gotta say, this season is phenomenal. It's yeah. so goddamn. What's the bad season of Fargo? Ah, uh, four. That one? Four? Yeah. Four... Or was the, um, the is it bad for Fargo or just like pretty bad overall? It's it's bad for Fargo. Like Jason okay. Schwartzman's in it with um, oh god, that redhead from uh, I'm thinking Bill about things. Oh, <laughs> naming <laughs> random redheads. <laughs> He's not a redhead. guy from the guy from Please Don't Destroy. Uh, she's a, she was in uh, Men. I can't remember her name. Kirsten Dunst. Oh. Not Kirsten Dunst. 
Um, anyway, Emma Stone, uh, Jesse Buckley, That's Jesse Buckley. Talking. Yeah, Thank you. um, yeah, that um, that season's probably the weakest, and this season feels like it could be the best. Like it's very okay. John Hamm is so goddamn good in the show. He's got he n- pierces nipples for this role. Oh my god, damn it! <laughs> what John is? Hell John yeah. is crazy, dude. <laughs> he is a like a hardcore Republican sheriff in Texas, and his son. Who's played by Joe Keery is named Gator. <laughs> He's such a prick. Oh, that's right. Yeah, I forgot Joe Keery was in that. God, everybody's really, really good in this show. Um, everybody. And uh, I imp- go watch it. It's very, very good. Very good. Um, and I watched The Curse. I'm enjoying The Curse a bit. It's a slow burn, but it's getting weirder and weirder. Um, and darker too. It's such a strange one. That one, <laughs> um, definitely feels like a Safety Brothers movie too, in a lot of ways, which I I really like. I'm, I'm really taking a keen eye to those guys. Those guys are making awesome movies and TV shows. Um, I think that's it. Unless you guys have anything else you want to talk about. Uh, I think. Oh, uh, Blue-Eyed Samurai is still fucking awesome. Almost done it, but... Blue My Samurai. That show is ridiculously good. How many episodes Uh, is it? Eight. About 40 minutes. That's not bad. That's not bad. So you posted a picture that was a Metallica cover in Japanese? (laughs) Yeah, yeah. It's just like... That's interesting. She just kind of, you know, she's about to square off with the, the guy who's like... The guy before the guy, because she's going through this whole castle to get through these levels to, to, you know, try to assassinate this one person. Okay, I think you're playing Castlevania. You might be. You it are basically Castlevania. is Castlevania. <laughs> okay, it's with, boobs. with boobs. With Castlevania with boobs. All right. Okay. Is, isn't that just that other game that the Castlevania guy made? Uh, How many boobs sh- were in that game? Bloodstained. Steve? How yeah. many boobs, bro? Are we counting them as a pair or just like each boob is a boob? Each boob. <laughs> each bo- oh, man. There might be four. 36 boobs, dude. Did you say five? How's that four. possible? <laughs> there might be five. There's, uh, Not possible. There's a Total Recall situation. Yeah. Uh, oh, I got to play that game. Okay. Total Recall uh, game? I think that's well, on the Nintendo. There's somebody that's literally all boobs, so it kind of fucks the number up. <laughs> Wait, really? In In... No, blue eye samurai. Oh come on, no. man! Don't come on. Is it a female it is, dog? Uh, it's it's a little it's a little filthy. It's a little filthy. Oh, like sexy filthy or violent filthy? Both. Or like a, or like a little pig. Like it's like rolling Ooh. around in like no, blood. No, definitely it's it's mostly violent filthy. But there's some sexy filthy in there too. Nice, 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 nice. Always you know, like that. Some Always people like are pretty that. like. There's a there's one. Uh, whorehouse prostitute uh, there's a term for it i just can't think of it a geisha uh, but yeah i guess but but it's like you know it's like where you go and they're like this is the one for like the freaks this is where you go to get the freaky shit done uh and there is a woman basically uh in a in a hot tub bucket and a and an octopus or a squid oh so oh wow okay take that animal porn huh oh my so you know. So t- you're saying tentacle porn went mainstream. Are you upset about that? I mean, it's like it. 
I felt like Devin, he was Devin, thing that was like kind of mine, you know. Yeah, uh, uh, and, and now it's it's getting old. Like, man. I feel like they sold out. You know, it's like it's like when Slipknot showed up on on TRL. <laughs> you know, <laughs> you know, end of an era, sellouts. Dude. End of an era. <laughs> Fine. Uh, sure, they peaked at number four. Hey man, you gotta still. make you gotta make money too. All right. Uh, you know, just, what, what are you? Gonna I gotta hate on Slipknot. All right, I don't. I'm just saying they're they're sellout scumbags. Well, you're not being invited to my <gasps> Slipknot podcast. Oh, yeah, I had my mask ready. Slipknot. What would you call a Slipknot? A Slipknots? <laughs> we are the Slipknots. We're slipping on nuts. I wish. That's Such a good joke. They own. They own that joke. I, I do. Slipknot fans are called a maggot. Apparently, or Google. Uh, I think awesome. I think ICP kind of got a beat in that. Yeah, they Juggalo. Dude, ICP's undefeated with with fan names. Juggalo is a great name for. A fan. It's they called a maggot, dude. That's fucking nah. rude. What they call they call them cornheads? They should call them a nutter. <laughs> oh, yeah, wait, <laughs> nutter corn fans. <laughs> they call them ears. Corn Here's fans corn. are called. <laughs> They're the stalk, dude. <laughs> the stalk. Oh, that sounds weird. Uh, so they are called pin boys or pin jockeys. Oh, not good. That's bad. <laughs> Wait, why aren't corn fans called colonels? Colonels, <laughs> dude. Oh, corn fan base should be referred to as the cob. <laughs> yeah, dude. There it Yo, is. Yo, dude. Hell yeah. That's funny. All right. If only, but unfortunately, they're not willing to go there. So juggalos and juggalettes win. Well, unfortunately, we're not talking about juggalettes today. We're juggalettes, for that matter. Um, colonels? Colonels? We're good talking about colonels. Uh, no. Uh, let's they get don't into call them cornheads? They don't call them cornheads. They don't call them colonels. They don't call them the cob. They should. <laughs> That's a good name. Oh, shit. I don't know why. <laughs> um, well, folks, because that brings us to the found footage horror section of Galani and Chill. I watched... Eight found footage horror films. <gasps> various time periods. Various time periods, too. Hey, Chris, uh, how'd you find them? <laughs> I get it, because you, you have to find them. <laughs> you don't know how wrong you are. <laughs> okay. What? Stop. Just stop. Uh, no, you're right. That is a good joke. Um, we should have did this like a like a found podcast. <laughs> no, we shouldn't have. <laughs> but I'll, like I'll bury a, like a tape in the middle of the woods. What are you in? Bury a lavalier, Mike. <laughs> Chris finds it. You know, you, you just hear this. You know what okay, I learned? Guys. I learned that it's almost the most one of the more important aspects of the early found footage phenomenon was how it was made too. The production, like they're one of the few genres where I feel like every aspect really, really, really has like an impact on its audience. And it's weird to say that without explaining some of the movies I watch, because there is a really interesting thing that a director does with two found footage movies on this list. And I, w- I want to get into it. And the first of that, that those movies is the McPherson tape or the UFO abduction. Either title goes by either. Uh, is anybody here familiar with that? Has anybody heard? This of- is like one of the OGs, right? Yeah. This is like the OG. 1989. Well, like, now that's an interesting concept, right, Steve? Because a lot of people think 
that cannibal holocaust was the first that was the og the 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 the, the one that really didn't necessarily create the genre but the seeds of the genre started there mm-hmm. i'd say i tend to agree with that statement just because of most of the film is like told in retrospect you know you're watching footage of a terrible thing that happened out in the jungle um and i feel like i wouldn't necessarily call that though a found footage movie because it it does have like a narrative film that sort of wraps around that yeah kind of contain it to keep it the plot kind of linear and to make it make sense so it's interesting i i would say that is it's not a found footage movie, but it set the seeds for found footage films, right? Right. I think the McPherson tape is the one. I wouldn't say it should get. It probably should get the credit for the first. It probably should. All things considered, it's the first like pure found footage, while the other so. is like a hybrid. But it did play in the space at first. Yes. Yes. I. I. That's. That's. That's my point. So this. Uh, the McPherson tape, basically, it's 66 minutes. It's actually quite short, which is, you know, a, a pretty common staple of horror found footage films. They, the shorter, the better, usually, is, is the way I look at it. Like, it, it, it's hard to maintain the plot in anything that's longer than that. There are a few exceptions on this list, though. There's one or two that I actually think was like, okay, the runtime actually helped a little bit. It was still a little bit of a drag, but it helped. It added another layer to the story. Uh, this, on the other hand, I don't think, I think this is perfect for the movie that it's trying to be. So the, the concept of this film is it is a uh, family celebrating a, uh, a relative's birthday, five-year-old niece of the main character who's filming this birthday. And while the birthday is going on, uh, an alien ship lands in the woods and... The guy holding the camera goes outside the house. And he sees the fucking giant alien ship. It's a pretty cool little prop that they built with like floodlights and stuff. And they're grays too. They're gray aliens. The classic, maybe classic. Mwah. Makeup terrible. Cinematography terrible. Fucking acting terrible. Visual effects terrible. Like everything outside the ship is silly looking and. It's cheap, you know, but that's, it's almost like with these movies, that's, you throw that all out. You throw it all out. You don't worry about the technical aspects of it. You focus on the atmosphere. You focus on the, on the feeling you get watching it. Because I think the, even the bad found footage movies are sort of like a really old beat up amusement park ride where you're on it and it's, it's not, it's not built correctly. It's falling apart but you still get that jolt of fear and that rush that you get because it could run off the tracks, you know, like it's that, that, that scary, like, Oh, this isn't safe. Like that I feel is the feeling I, I should have for a good found footage movie. I should feel like, Oh, I'm, these people aren't safe. I don't feel safe watching this. Mm. Those are the good ones. And I, I feel like this movie it get, it captures that at the very least because it's, it's a harrowing experience and, and it's not just aliens like walking around and, and shooting people. There are some lasers in the movie, 
the most interesting parts are when the aliens are like telepathically controlling the people in the house and it's making people hallucinate in the house. Like the, the grandmother keeps going to the front door and unlocking it and trying to let them in. Cause it's all within the house. That's creepy. That's pretty good. It's very creepy. And it's like uh, those great moments in found footage horror films where a main, a character just stands up and starts doing something without their complete control of their body. You know, that's, those found footage movies do that really well. That that scare, um, yeah. So and it all culminates to them the aliens getting in their house and they're not even acknowledging their existence at the end. Like they they're in the house, but they're doing something to their minds where they don't see them, and it just ends. It cuts to black. That all of that, like the way it's per, portrayed on screen, it it really creates fear. It creates tension. And the fact that it cuts to black with no credits, that's the scariest way to end a movie. <laughs> I mean, that's the thing, right? Like, if it a found footage is kind of like a two-handed agreement with the viewer. Yes. Where it's like, you pretend that this is real, and we're going to go as deep as possible into, like, that belief. It's not like... Like some of that, like, you know, there was a time when I was a kid where like when Blair Witch first came out, I was like, is this real? Oh my God. Because, you know, Absolutely. I was a dumb kid. Um, well, also, to be fair, they that was the point. They the wanted marketing. you to think it was real. So. Right. Right. But but I think, you know, at that point in time, like, you know, there weren't as many found footage movies. Um, but I think it's it's kind of like in that like pro wrestling space, even where it's like you pretend this is real. We're going to go as far as possible and just like have this thing cut out like you're allowed to play in the space with your own thoughts and theories. And like, just like we're, we just might randomly end this movie. It will cut to black. This is something that you found. Right. Exactly. I think you're absolutely right. I think it expends suspension of disbelief more than most horror movies does. Like it really, it asks a lot from the viewer, in my opinion, found footage. Like, the mo- even like the mo- modern day stuff that we're watching, like the Kane Pixel stuff, the the back rooms and the oldest, uh, the oldest house. What was that called? Uh, the oldest view. The oldest view. Um, I think it's view. It might be something else. You, you, yeah. There's that agreement. You're absolutely right. There's that sense where you you have to suspend your disbelief. You have to fall completely into the world that they're creating, the reality that they're creating, and it could just end out of the blue right and that makes it better <laughs> you know like it uh, it defies a lot of the logic of movie making in a lot of sense too like in storytelling and it does it in a good way mm-hmm. and that's why i'm even doing this i'm a huge proponent of these movies i think they're fantastic <laughs> when they're done correctly it is phenomenal and we are living in like kind of like the best time for it with like phone cameras youtube yep. And everything is like questionable too, like all the stuff that we're shooting, all the videos that we watch on the phone, on our phones, um, everything on YouTube. We question the reality of everything, you know, like, is this real? Is this not? And I think that is a core component of the, these movies, you know, questioning what is real. Right. Um, oh, yeah. And I, the great thing about the McPherson tape is there is a remake, which is the most interesting thing about it really. And Modern? Get, like when? It, it came out right after uh, Blair Witch actually. Oh, okay. Uh, this was made in 1989. The first McPherson tape. Um, 
the budget was sixty five hundred bucks, which is awesome. <laughs> that is awesome. Holy smokes! Do you think that's like? Is that like the game secretly? It's like how cheap can we make the found footage thing? Absolutely, I think that's a huge <laughs> part of it because. The cheaper, almost the cheaper it gets, the the scarier it gets within the genre, you know. And I and yeah. I think it, if it's too overproduced, it tends to be the 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 suspension of disbelief severs. Like it starts to become like if you add like adding CGI to foul footage movies really hurts me. It hurts ruins me. it. It ruins it. It ruins the immersion. It's, so much. it's very tough to pull off. Yeah, it is, and I feel like. I think you can do it, but it has to be subtle and it has to be, it has to be, yeah, it just has to be subtle. It has to be, it has to take a really deft hand to place it in a found footage film. But, uh, after, uh, the McPherson tape, 1989, 66 minutes, um, common Ooh. criticism. We talked about the common criticisms. Uh, the film is presented as found footage, portraying, portraying the final recordings and last known whereabouts of a Connecticut family named the Van Hesses just before they are abducted. So really, um, it's free on YouTube. Go check it out. 66 minutes of your time. It's like I said, you know, it's shot on a VHS camera. So (laughs) (laughs) prepare to deal with that. Yeah. Deal with it. Um, it's interesting. It's an interesting movie. What is, what is like the, um, the excuse for like having that tape run, like for the family, it's the niece's birthday. So, okay. That's a fun setup. And the guy's filming it the whole time, and he just was like keeping the camera on, filming everything because they're like, we, we get paid for this, you know. Like that's the the UFO. It's always the UFO or ghost argument. Is like we get this yeah. on tape, we're getting paid, man. We can send yeah. this to the news station. <laughs> yeah, basically. Do, like, do you think um in the movie Signs, do you think that scene where they're like at the birthday party and like they have that footage of the alien walking, you think that's like a slight reference maybe then? If that's that like, is a birthday like, party, right? That is a birthday party and that's kind of like a found footagey moment. That's like probably the memorable moment of that movie. It's the scariest moment of the movie. You know, Steve, that's a really good point though that you bring up. It's like, it really, like, I don't know how, it is important, but like, it just makes it so much better when there's like a real reason. For for the sure. camera, you know. Sure, sure, sure. I agree. I think. Uh, well, that's actually interesting. Bringing up to my next found footage movie that I never seen before, and that's Man Bites Dog. Did anybody ever hear is, about this? I think I vaguely heard of French, it. That is the French movie that follows a serial killer. That is correct? right. Yep, you got it. This movie is wild. It is basically because <laughs> I saw it a long time ago. It is basically. I would describe it as Spinal Tap. Yeah. A yeah, dark a Spinal Tap. It's a mockumentary for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, it's definitely, like, I would call it a dark comedy. I would say that's a pretty appropriate look at it. And it's horrific what he's doing because he's literally, he's murdering anybody and everybody. Uh, he has no preference. He murders older people for social or for pensions. Mm-hmm. Or, or murders I think a couple, I think he murdered a whole family at some point in the movie. And it always cuts back to him throwing the bodies in a giant quarry, which is yeah, really silly. Cause it's always him like, how did that one land? <laughs> it is, it is such an interesting movie because like it does the thing that, um, uh, Leslie Vernon, uh, yeah. behind yeah. the mask does yeah. where it's like the beginning of it is like very like oh we're playing in like a silly space and then by the end of the movie you're like 
oh god this is horrific like oh yeah dude this is like really fucked up the scariest part the most horrific part is um when the bodies he's throwing in the quarry the quarry eventually the water recedes and it's all the bodies are down there and they have to move them Mm -hmm. and it's just them picking up like corpses and pieces of bodies and like burying them like the film crew is helping he's like fucking help me this is taking forever (laughs) yeah (laughs) yeah (laughs) i I remember like expressly being like it is a wonderful commentary on where like camera crews and like journalists in like those situations like the people actually like documenting the things where it's like when do they cross the line in what they are capturing right right i think there's actually a really funny moment with that speaks to that in the movie where he's he's in his hideout and another serial killer comes in and they start having to shoot out i forgot about that yeah and you find out that he has a camera crew too yeah they (laughs) camera crews oh he murders all of them and the guy's like don't shoot me i'm just a camera guy but it's like you we've already got to the point where we've seen the director cameraman of you know our character basically what you're saying like crossing a bunch of lines morally and you don't necessarily feel bad for the other camera guy because you're like oh you're falling around a serial killer basically uh, as a, a accomplice you know like right yes it's a cynical dark look at like the line of morality and ethics when it comes to a subject in a documentary like when is it time to be like no this is wrong i shouldn't be filming this i should call the police there's actually another movie which is incredibly effective i think man bites dog is good i think there's another movie on this list that does that even better it's i just it's fascinating how how scary that can be um I really like this though. I really enjoy it. I'll never just forget just like the boom operator keeps dying. <laughs> <laughs> they keep killing him. And it's always a new guy. And yeah. the, the director's always like sad afterwards. He's like, I will just get a new one. <laughs> Don't worry about it, man. It is a uh, it is also very entertaining that like when that boom operator dies, like during those like heated scenes, that like the audio is kind of like stuck in that spot, like that space too. Yeah, dude, that's really creepy. Yeah. (laughs) That's very effective at being scary because it's, it feels like, yeah, you're stuck there. The sound is stuck and you don't hear what's going on. And there's usually something ghastly going on in the background. Mm. Um, Cool. Cool movie. This Um, that's on the criterion collection, I believe. Yeah. I watched that on, on criterion. It was beautiful, beautiful uh, remaster. Man Bites Dog. Man Bites Dog, uh, directed by Remy Bellevue, Andre Bonzel, and Benoit Poirot Pulververde. I don't know about that one. Uh, Rotten Tomatoes score (laughs) 74%, audience score 90%, uh, box office 3.5 million, with a budget of 1 million. Uh, Was made in 1992 and has a runtime of 96 minutes. Uh, the film was marred by controversy due, due to its, its excessive violence at the time. Uh, there was a gang rape scene that was uh, pulled. I think it was pulled from the Criterion version, too. I didn't see it in, in that version. I think uh, the version I saw had it. Yeah, it's pretty yeah. brutal because I actually tracked it down somewhere. Um, the violence was intended to be over the top, like we talked, and satirical, as the film itself is more of a black comedy. Interesting little little history nugget, uh, film history, 
and actor history. Steve Buscemi, who was so taken by the film that he attempted to see it twice at Cannes in 1992 with Quentin Tarantino. Buscemi was stopped by a security guard and accosted. He ended up punching the guard in the face and had to be subdued by five other oh guards. He's <laughs> probably hammered, dude. Yeah, he was hammered. <laughs> but like him and Tarantino geeking out about this is pretty. That's pretty awesome. Funny. Yeah. yeah. That, that fits, you know. Uh, yeah. Interesting flick. Check it out. It's on Criterion. Um, now, we move on to the remake of the McPherson tape, the loose remake. And that is Alien, Alien Abduction Incident in Lake County. Now, the reason I brought up the fact that the remake makes it better, makes the original better, is for this fact. Now, this is funny. So it's going to start off funny and then it's going to get interesting. So originally aired on UPN. <laughs> it, followed, <laughs> it followed Real Vampires Exposed when it aired. Of course. Which offered a tabloid-like investigation of vampires. It was like a documentary about people that think they're vampires, right? So this led some viewers into thinking that the alien abduction was also portraying real events. And much like the effect of... Oh, man. Yeah. No. (laughs) But this is the more interesting fact that I think is somewhat genius of this director. His name is Dean Aliato. Mm -hmm. directed and wrote this the fact that it is a remake of another tape led to the confusion over which was the original tape and the controversy over whether the original could be authentic Hmm. so that to me is really really smart if it was intentional by the director because it makes you think is this a remake of a real thing when you watch it because the other one looks so real, like this one, that you can't tell if... Well, of course you can, because they're fake. But it leads that little seed of doubt in your head, maybe when you watch this alone. What if one's real, and the other is a retelling? A theatrical mm-hmm. retelling of that. That's really neat. That's it's, super fun. It's super fun, isn't it? Yeah. Like, conceptually speaking, I think something like this would be on like YouTube now. Mm-hmm. Um, and people will be like, oh, is, what's real? What isn't, you know, it's, you're constantly throwing what it, the reality and the, the falseness in people's faces to the point where they don't know which is which cool. Thumbs up. Neat stuff. Um, now I have no information about the box office or budget of this film, but it has an audience score of 47%, uh, runtime of 89 minutes. And it was made in 1998. Okay. So it was actually the same year, I believe, as Blair Witch. Yeah, I think I think so. Right. So now we move on to another film, which was made that same year and was forgotten about, but was very much in the same vein as Blair Witch. And it's about the Jersey Devil, folks. I remember this one. I never saw it, though. This is the last broadcast. Um, Now, get this. This is... The lowest budget of any movie I've ever seen, I think, on Galani and Chill. This movie was made for nine hundred dollars. <laughs> so cool! <laughs> it grossed four million. Did it, did it add? That's did it crazy. add to the creepy factor that it was so cheap? Yeah, yeah. You made 
because like a lot of the mo- a lot of this movie is barely found footage. It's more of like a documentary. And the whole plot is uh, these two idiot hosts of a, a local television show. They get together and they have a show in which they investigate, you know, monsters, cryptozoobotany, the, the mythical monsters and such. And um, they find out like one of their they have Internet relay chats, which is basically like instant message. But back in 90 in the 90s mm-hmm. and they had that live on their show and people type in what they want them to investigate. So, and the great thing that they use is they use this really like cheap AI voice to play the text on the show. So it's like, you need to investigate the Jersey devil. Like that is a constant part of the movie where you're hearing Mm -hmm. this weird, creepy AI voice speaking through the, the internet relay chat that they set up. But yeah, most of this is like, there's court testimonials, there's um, interviews, and it, and it has a, some footage of when these two hosts went out to the Pine Barrens to look for the Jersey Devil and were brutally murdered. And it also follows the, the, the so-called perpetrator of the crime, who, as you find out later on in the movie, probably didn't do it. And that kind of it's the great thing about this movie is the details are on the fringes, you know, like what people are saying is not really what's important. It's more about what's going on on the sides and the edges and the marginal areas of the movie. And you start piecing things together yourself and you're like, Oh, Oh, and it's a nice little mystery in that, in that regard. Um, Mm -hmm. All that being said, this movie sounds and looks like shit. I mean, $900. (laughs) abysmal and this film is credited as the first feature length film shot and edited entirely on consumer level digital equipment oh was look it? at that no 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 whoa 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 Chris. oh okay what do you got what do you got do you remember that movie that i bought you as a birthday gift years ago <laughs> that was entirely edited on like a commodore 64 i forget what it said at the end of the credits it might have been the dead next door you're talking about the dead next the dead door. next door yes <laughs> I think that was shot on film. Son of a bitch. I think actually <laughs> I think it was it. shot I think it was shot on VHS. Maybe they no, beat, I think they beat them. Film. They yeah. did it. You're right. You're right. Dang it. Um this was edited on Adobe Premiere 4.2. <laughs> that's a throwback, dude. That's a throwback. Uh that's cool. I'm I'm a big fan of that. Um, that's I remember when Blair Witch came out. I remember hearing so often on like TV, people being like, "We made this movie, The Jersey Devil. It, it was it was before Blair Witch. It was before <laughs> Blair Witch." Yeah, they uh, they're pretty salty about that one. Mm-hmm. <laughs> say, but I mean, hey, you know, like what is it? The the same ideas they sort of proliferate into the ether, and you know, people make the same shit. That's why there was there was almost two Napoleon movies, and you know, all this other stuff like. It's, it's weird like that, you know, creatives, they, they tend to steal ideas whether they realize it or not. Um, but also like, I think it was the time period. I think the fact that there were all these consumer level digital equipment being offered to people that it opened up a door for a lot of people to think like, well, anybody can make a movie and anybody can make a horror movie with this equipment. And it's still scary. And 
they're kind of right. They're not wrong. Like that's the, the wonderful thing about horror movies is that they're, they could be really cheap and you can make them with nothing and they can still be effective in a lot of ways. Um, good stuff. It, um, it premiered in Doylestown PA and was released theatrically through an independent distribution company. And the crazy thing was because the film was not shot on film stock, the screenings were arranged to select theaters via satellite streaming. Crazy, crazy, crazy director, uh, Stefan Avalos and Lance uh, Weller, they're directors and writers of the film. And Steve, they stole your nickname. The editor in this movie is called the killer cutter. Son, I'm going to have to call my lawyer. They're stunting on you. They're stunting they on are. you. In they are. 1998. Really, <laughs> they really are, dude. Rotten Tomatoes score of 50%. Audience score of 39%. Um, 86 minutes. It's a hard watch. I'm not going to deny that. It's it's really... It's probably the worst looking out of all of the movies I watched. Mm. And also the worst sounding. God, the sound is awful. Oh, that's almost it's like that's worse than having an ugly movie <laughs> sounds important dude oh it's like there's drones and various scenes like they didn't get room tone in a lot of spots it's, you just hear droning sounds it's, ugh. anyway uh let's move on so our next film is nori or the curse as it is translated now this is a japanese found footage horror film uh, it was directed by Koji Shirihashi. It was also written by him. Um, this film, this is the longest one I've watched. It's 115 minutes. And it was made in 2005 with a budget of $2 million. This movie has so much lore in it in that time. It unloads so much stuff and mythology. It's it, You wouldn't think it would work. But it all kind of folds together pretty nicely. Um, what's this? What's this one called again? So this is uh, Nori: The Curse, and basically, it's about a uh, it's about a documentarian in Japan who finds out about a uh, possession case, or more more importantly, like a, a uh, curse that is going around in this certain certain area in Japan. Um, the plot basically is there's a demon that was let loose from a town that was flooded over because of a dam that was built. And during the ceremony, they brought the demon out, but they never put him back, Devin. Oh, of course. He got to put him back. He got to move the gravestones. You got to move back. the bodies. They Great flooded the town, thing. and anybody who knew about the ritual to put him back is dead or gone. And he's just sort of living his best life uh, in this in this movie. And and the cool thing is, he uses real people, like real actors. Uh, mm-hmm. The cast includes Mar- Marika Matsumo Matsumoto, who is a real actress, but she plays a fictional version of herself in this movie. Okay. And the whole idea is that um, she gets possessed, or she she's like a sensitive. Right. That's also another part of this whole film where there are people that are sensitive to the paranormal that are able to, you know, have telepathy and telekinesis, be able to see things that they shouldn't be able to see. And this demon kind of harps on those people. And she, the actress is one of those people. And she goes on like a haunted, haunted 
house like reality show in Japan and she gets fucked up. <laughs> There's and there is a scary fucking scene in in all of that where she's you see the footage of the reality show, you see her kind of freaking out. It's at an old shrine in Japan where they're where they're shooting this haunted house reality show. And she sees something that nobody else sees and she starts hallucinating and then screaming. Uh, it's extremely effective. I'm not, I'm like kind of talking around some stuff cause I don't want to spoil everything. Mm, yeah. Um, cause there's some interesting plot points to this movie. Um, but that scene basically has one of those great scenes in found footage where somebody's like the footage that you saw was different. That's what he tells the actress, the documentarian. He's like, they have this other footage that they didn't want to show you because of your reaction. Love that in found footage. You see one video, and then there's another video with the truth in it. You know, like the, yeah, the, the, this mm-hmm. is the scary shit. And they build it up really nicely, and then you see it, and it's, ah! that's what the reaction I had seeing it. Um, there is a a man in the woods with him. You can see him like walking around in the background. But the fact that you know it builds up to that moment where you you think that's all there is at the shrine, and then there's this other footage. Ah, as beautiful, very effective. I I really enjoyed this. But all that being said, oh, get over it. Uh, the the facts. Uh, audience score seventy five percent. Runtime one hundred fifteen minutes. Year two thousand five. All that being said, it did not scare me as much as this director's other found footage movie, and that is a cult. This is the one you were you were. This one. Up. Yeah, yeah, this this one it it has that same feeling that the last broad or not the last broadcast that man bites dog sort of had, but I think it's a bit more effective because the whole plot of the movie is there was a stabbing at this one spot in Japan in this this like beautiful spot the the, the ocean meeting the, the the rocks and the mountains. Um, and you see the stabbing, it's like a found footage stabbing where this man just goes insane, starts stabbing women, kills them both, goes up to a man, touches him, and then ends up jumping off of a cliff. They never Ooh. find, they never find his body. It's an unsolved mystery to this day. But then you find out that the man he touched is hearing voices, Right. And he's got this big fucking scar on his back. It's like an eye with all these other little scars underneath of it. I got to spoil a little bit because I want to tell you the thing that really scared me about this the most. Mm -hmm. He keeps lying about the voices. He's like, I don't understand what they're saying. I don't understand what they're saying. And this character that they pick, he's like a real like loser. right? (laughs) He's got no ambition. He's got no drive. Then he sits down with the director because they start getting like close. And he says, listen, man, I've been lying to you. I can understand what the the voice is saying to me. And he wants me to build a suicide vest and blow myself up at a train station at rush hour. And the director starts going along with him. Now you're like that whole man bites dog thing. What lines is he crossing? And you're like, oh, maybe he's just getting footage as evidence. And he's going to stop them. The rest of the movie is watching a man build a suicide vest. (laughs) It's oh my god! Horrifying, it's so scary. It's like following 
like an incel mass shooter before mm. he does it. And Ugh. yeah, yes. And there's this element. There's this. It starts getting more profound as it goes on, but there's a supernatural element to it where you're never quite sure if he's right. There is something bigger at work here. But it, it, yeah, it just has a feeling like you're you're following a mass shooter. And I it's so relevant now. And like I said before, the character has no ambition and no drive. But the moment he starts hearing the voice. He knows exactly what he has to do. And he has the utmost confidence that this is exactly what has to happen. And there's a funny scene in it, which the main character, the director, and him go to see a movie. They go to see Indiana Jones and the Crystal Skull. Like <laughs> do they? <laughs> like three hours before the bombing, right? And he's like, man, I really like that movie. I want to see it again. But. I got work to do. <laughs> like, he's so upset on it. And he's just talking about Indiana Jones the whole time while he's like walking to the station. It's strange, but it's really effective and it kind of shows you like how somebody who's deeply mentally ill mm-hmm. view reality. You know, like they have this drive and purpose that's beyond everything else in their life and their personality, and it's to murder people and themselves. Right? Horrifying. This is the scariest movie of all of these. All these movies I watched. And I will preface all of that by saying that the very end of this movie is really stupid. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Alright. But like, if you just get rid of like the last five seconds, you just cut out the last five seconds, it's a fine movie. It's a, a really effective found footage harmony, if not one of the most effective I've ever seen. Um, check it out. I implore you. It's 110 minutes. This is a longer one. I, I This kind of poo-poos my rule of things that it should be shorter. I think this works really well at, at its length. Um, it was made in 2009. It, it just it scared the shit out of me. That's, that's, and there's not many horror movies that can do that nowadays. You know? Mm, <laughs> okay. Yeah. All right. Short list. Um, ugh. Yeah, that one. I felt like I had to take a shower. Um, so let's move on to the sillier ones, which is the more recent ones. And honestly, well, how I kind of view where found footage is, is gone, at least cinematically. Like, it's starting to get a little bit old hat as far as mm. film goes. I think YouTube and a lot of, like, the shorter uh, narration, short film, it's really grabbed the baton and ran with it. I think that feature like movies have kind of gotten sillier and sillier. Um, so this next one is the one I was telling you guys about. And that's Evidence. Um, it's directed by Howie Askins, written by Ryan McCoy. The runtime is 78 minutes. This is the best Resident Evil movie ever made. <laughs> <laughs> and this is interesting. This is an interesting movie because... Um, it has almost like a Hitchcockian turn in the plot, right? Because it starts yeah. out as like uh, a group that are together and there's really not a reason why they're filming like you guys always bring up. Like there needs to be a reason. This one is not so much. Like it's just happening, right? Um, and they all, it's its four friends. I think it's two couples and they all go in, on a uh, RV out into the, the to the desert to spend some time and relax. 
And um, yeah, so the main character is filming everything in a, a way to uh, forget the actual reasoning behind the documentary. I think he did have a reason. I just can't remember. It doesn't matter. Um, yeah, but eventually things start to happen. There's something stalking them. Weird fucking monsters start popping out of nowhere. And then you're just left with two characters and they're running with this camera. I don't know why it's still on. And you find out that they're in the middle of like, uh, a laboratory. Ooh. And, and it's a military encamped laboratory. And there are all these weird monsters that are just breaking out of various cells and attacking these ladies. Like things that you just weird, like everything is, every monster looks different, which is really neat, you know, because it's all these weird experiments, I guess people are conducting like Resident Evil. And then you meet, like there's a Chris Renfield in this too. It's <laughs> really fun. And he's such like a budget store, Chris Renfield, but it's just like, it captures the tenseness and the horror of Resident Evil really well. Even it not being an actual Resident Evil product. Um, yeah, it's, it works pretty well towards the end. I think the twist is really the strongest part of the movie, but like, I think everything after that is also very well done. I think the second half of this movie is, is what makes it really. Um, it's 78 minutes. Go out and check it out. It's really some bad acting, but <laughs> where was, uh, where is this one found? This one is on YouTube for free. Oh, okay. Yeah, go check it out. English, no subtitles, um, which can be a little difficult with YouTube sometimes. Sometimes they don't have English subs. Yeah. Uh, Occult does, which is great. Really great stuff. Um, And then my final movie of the night is Afflicted. Have you guys ever heard of Afflicted? Anybody ever heard of No. No. Afflicted is directed by Derek Lee and Cliff Prouse, uh, written by Derek Lee and Cliff Prouse. Basically, it's the story of two friends that go on a backpacking tour of Europe. And their one one friend, I guess, who's the main character in the film. Um, they're both kind of main characters, but I'd say he is. Um, he gets, they find out he gets a diagnosis of cancer before the trip. So this whole trip is a way for him to go out in a bang because they think it's going to be terminal. It's not looking good. And uh, he's filming his friend because they're doing like a, a, a travel vlog or something, right? The turn of this movie is the, the main character starts getting sick. He has, he spends a one night, he has a one night stand with a girl and he wakes up the next morning. And well, actually the main character, one of the character main characters busts in the door while he's having sex and she runs out the window. As- and he, you normally do as you normally do. Right. And he's covered in blood and he wakes up the next day. And he's like, I'm not feeling good. I don't feel great. Oh no. A couple of days go by. He's like, this is, I'm really not, I don't feel myself. And he starts developing like superhuman strength and he's able to like scale buildings and shit. And he's jumping really high. Like you do. Like, like you do. You do. <laughs> and he's, Starts getting allergic to sunlight. Oh, dear. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so it's a, it's a cool little thing where you're like, oh, what's wrong with them? And then you, you see it progress on the in the film footage. Um, I, I was already... It's not a great twist. You kind of figure it out, you know, in the, halfway through the movie. 
But, you know, it takes some interesting turns with the plot and what happens to both those characters that I quite like. And it's kind of portrayed as being lighter than it is. And it's really sad and dark at the end. But the film itself is, like, very bright. And they do use, like, a little too much CGI. It's like, uh, just just takes it right out of it, you know? Um, But there's some brutal moments in this movie. And I kind of enjoyed it. I think it's on Paramount Plus if you want to check it out. Um, It has a Rotten Tomatoes score of 83%. Audience score of 56%, um, a budget of $318 million, a box office of 100 I'm sorry, $318,000 okay. <laughs> million, and a box office of $121,000. So it did not make a lot of, a lot of money when it came out. Uh, filming took place in Barcelona, Paris, Italy, and Vancouver. Uh, this is the first feature-length film for both directors. Um, it was originally planned... To be a web series like Marble Hornets. And it kind of has that feel. It has that feel of like the vlog feel where they're always entering like a new entry and things have changed. You got to figure out what's wrong, what's different. Um, Never having shot a found footage horror film, the directors had a lot of respect for Blair Witch Project and Paranormal Activity due to how difficult the movie was to make. They said it was very hard. It's harder than it looks to make one of these, to make them good. Um, and I think there's some truth to that. I will say I really enjoyed all these movies, though. I think they're all... I was going to say, there wasn't one where you were like, this was dog shit. I, yeah, it's like, listen, it's... You know, they look like dog shit. That's something I would <laughs> say. But, like, it's they're effective. They're always effective. And I think the genre adds a lot to it. And I think I'm a little biased too. I, I quite like the genre. I, I've always have since I was a young man, and growing older, I, I never went away. That the the interest I have in them. Uh, this was made in 2014, has a runtime of 85 minutes. It's interesting, but I I say go check out a cult. Go check out um, go check out Man Bites Dog. Those are both I think the most effective. I think that's coming out of this. I think the thing that scares me the most is like filming an actual murderer. (laughs) Mm. I think that works really well in, in found footage. And um, I think a cult nailed it a little better though. I think it really got that down perfectly. Um, That's one I I'm going to, I'm never going to forget that one. It's like tattooed in my brain. Um, yeah, but all that being said, I did enjoy these movies, and uh, probably we'll do this again at some point. You should. Yeah, there's a there's so much billion of them, and you know, I can think of like three that you just didn't even. I know uh, I did. Like, I, again, there's so many. I did Grave Encounters. That was like one of the first Galanian chills I ever did. Was wasn't that like alien movies or something? No, Grave Encounters is uh, it's like a haunted house film. Oh, okay. That's have you the, ever? What's up? No, keep going. No, that's it. I'm done. I got another. Ha, have you ever watched a Butterfly Kisses? I've never watched Butterfly Kisses. It's another one. You know what? I think you might got a few months down the line, Chris. We See, might have I to put do, you back in the found footage space. I could do Butterfly Kisses. I could do Hell House. That whole series. I think they're making <clears> a fourth Hell House now. You could you could watch <laughs> the UK show that was another one of those things that 
people thought was real and ended up taking their lives, unfortunately. Ghost Watch, I think it was called. <laughs> that sounds God. Like fun. Yeah. <laughs> I love when people are stupid. <laughs> <laughs> that's the thing. That's the thing. Cause it's like, they, they were like, we're doing like a fun thing for Halloween. And they did this show called ghost watch where they were like, Oh, we're going to, this house is apparently haunted and we're going to, we're going to, you know, do like a, like a, uh, a camera in the house. It was paranormal activity before paranormal activity. Uh. And they sold it on like BBC as just like a, we're doing a special. And it was like, so scary that people thought it was real. And, you know, unfortunately, you know, well, Steve, reacted when, poorly. When you watch a, a documentary about real life vampires and then follow it up with a UFO abduction found footage movie, you're going to think it's real because vampires are real, and it's the UPN. <laughs> Sorry, you said you, it's that the so UPN. Com- you said that so confidently because <laughs> vampires are real. Obviously, it's, U- it's a UPN. It's a, it's a celebrated network. Okay. <laughs> Yo, rest in peace, UPN. <laughs> rest in peace, UPN. Yeah. I mean, that's, I've heard that, I've heard really good things about like one cut of the dead too. I think that's found footage. Yeah, one cut of the dead. I've heard. I've yeah. heard one cut of the dead. So like yeah. I, I yeah, I've definitely. I'm Diary of the Dead. Not so much. <laughs> yeah, Diary of the Dead. No, no, no. I'm not going down that path. That one I don't even like. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> it's so bad. Such a cool name though. Like Diary of the Dead is such a cool title. It had potential. It just is the worst acting I think I've ever seen in a movie in my yeah, life. Kind of so made me bad. go. I know, I think this guy needs to be done. Oh, that's yeah, a sad movie. Yeah, yeah, that is sad. Sad film. Um, yeah. So we'll do that again. Now uh, I have a wall of trash uh, facing me in January because you guys are just going to huck garbage at me for Galani and Chill that month. Um, well, that, well, 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 we're setting up the thing. It's in March. Oh, it's in March. That's right. Yeah, I'm March Badness, dude. Yeah, you got some time. Yeah, March I'm Badness. Gonna go, I'm going to go classic this next month. I'm going to watch uh, some Alfred Hitchcock movies. Ooh. Wow. It's Chris fucking putting his, his ascot on. Do you know, I've never seen his pipe. I've never seen Vertigo. What? I know, man. Wait, really? Vertigo. Nope. Yeah. Man, that movie is... Oh, man. There's I've a seen... part of that movie that I can't wait to talk to you about. I've that. seen North by Northwest, Psycho, you know, uh, Rear Windows. Psycho? So good. Psycho. Psycho, yeah. I've seen the, the Man Who Knows Too Much. I mean, I've, I've seen Rope. I've seen a lot of his movies. I just don't know why. I never. You've never seen Vertigo? Vertigo? Nope. Never watched it. Dude, that movie's sick. I'm excited. They added it to Criterion, too, which is like, yes. All right. That's cool. I'm in. Dang, dude. I know. I, it's like a blind spot in the Alfred Hitchcock filmography. Just I really say, like save it. that for your uh, for your deathbed. <laughs> no, it's good. It's not. I'll, I'll tell you this. I I mean, my favorite. I mean, it's. It's not Psycho, right? Okay. Psycho's again, my number like, two. Psycho's my number two. What's, what's number one? Rear Window? Rear Window, yeah. Rear Window Rear is window. like the goat. Awesome. Yeah, like it's not, it's not Rear Window. Or Psycho, right? But it's like there are some. It's kind of like North by Northwest, where like there's just icon. There's like there's like one or two like really like iconic moments in the movie that you'll that are unforgettable that you'll never forget for the rest of your life. You can forget about the rest of the movie, you but you won't forget, forget about like a certain moment or a certain moment or two. Well, he really he so. really played around with like dreamscapes, and that was pretty new for the time for Vertigo. Like making 
dreams shooting like making a dream scene in a movie um yeah so like that's interesting alone yeah i i'm excited i yeah i want to see notorious it's really good never seen notorious um i i've there's a man, few. He's, uh, he's, he's done a lot of fucking movies. Man. I'm not gonna watch movies. them all. I'm yeah, not watch them all. a lot. I'm gonna cherry pick a bit because there's some ones I really want to watch. Um, he did one Strangers about on a train. He did one about the Boston Strangler, and it was like one of his few color movies that I'm really interested in. And it has sort of like a found footage feel to it because he, the killer, everything's done in POV. When the killer's walking around, God, they, like, there are some people. fucking sick movies he, he's done. Yeah. Jesus Christ, he's he's the first sicko man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, dude, he's first, first sicko. Yeah, didn't he like? Didn't he buy, like, buy out like an entire state's like stock of the Psycho book so it wouldn't yeah. spoil the movie before the movie came out or some shit like that? Yes, he most certainly did. That do is that. some complete sicko type. He had Type some shit, con- man. He had some control issues, <laughs> Mr. Hitchcock. He was felt like he needed to be in control of everything all the time. He was he was that was like that's part of his weird mythos that a lot of people talk about. Especially how he treated female actresses. Like it's not good. <laughs> God, you're that, guy, that guy born in like nineteen twenty. Uh, <laughs> no. Well, let's- it's not so much sexual as it's just like weird shit that he would do yeah. to get them there's a lot, to feel a certain way. There's a lot of firsts from Psycho too. Wasn't first that like toilet. First, first <clears throat> toilet, first like underwear scene for a first woman or something. Day. There's yeah, there's you're gonna have a lot of like factoids from that movie. Psycho is gonna be like, Well, you know what, mom. I'm not gonna do psycho. I'm just not gonna do psycho. I mean, for, Hitchcock, like, for Hitchcock week. Psycho. Pretty redundant, let's be honest. <laughs> I, can watch, of... I, I can watch Psycho any day of the week. I fucking love that movie so much. I what? Hot take, I think the trailer for Psycho is better dude, than Psycho. You're, you're crazy, dude. <laughs> you're dude, that trailer, is so that, tra- good, that trailer is very fun. Is great. The trailer is sick, trailer, but dude, dude, the movie is so good, dude. Are you kidding That's me? That's all bass, baby. Saul Bass. Saul Bass crushing it with all of those. This is the shower where she gets murdered in my movie. (laughs) I don't want to talk about what happens here. (laughs) And this is the car that you drive. Psycho, like any other movie at that time, the whole movie would have been about the $40,000 that she stole in the beginning of the movie. Yeah, it's so inconsequential. Yeah, it's it's, a MacGuffin. It doesn't even matter. Yeah, it's like nothing in that movie. So good. Also, Bernard Herman absolutely cranking it with the score in that movie. Oh, yo. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's Classic. fucking goaded. The, the score's goaded. Classic. Busta uh, Rhymes okay. did a, did some raps on that shit. Oh, yeah, that's right. I There's remember that, that song, that Give Me Some More. Give Me Some yeah, More. Play, I thought it might be Jim. Fuck yeah, yeah. Fucking blast that tonight, Devin, <laughs> at the gym. Yeah. Buster Rhymes, give me some my, more. I'm famous for my 2 a.m. gym sessions. Hell yeah. Get your ass to the gym, Devin. Listen to Buster Rhymes. Henry Rollins is leaving me voicemails as we see. He never speak, stopped. Dude. He never stopped. I never stopped, dude. Well, folks, I think that's another episode of Galani and Chill for the Books. Uh, thank you for uh, listening to me drone on about things that I love. And next week will be Hitchcock. So. Buckle up, get your next cocks week. out. Next week, Chris is going crazy. Next week, next, next m- month. Next month, you're going to be rocking around the cock. <laughs> <laughs>
Rocking around mm. the cock for Christmas time. It's Hitchcock. See you then. <laughs>